it's Shannon Ballard. I want to say thanks to my newest patrons who have helped make this episode possible. Brandy from Lancaster, Kentucky. Becca from Plano, Texas. Deborah from Topeka, Kansas. Lee from Willow Spring, North Carolina. And Gail, Jim, Sandy, Nancy, Kylie, Lewis, Brandy, Amanda, and Brittany all listening and supporting from mysterious locations. Appreciate your support so much and appreciate the support of all of my patrons of Southern Mysteries. They get access to our show archive, which is three seasons that you can't hear anywhere else, along with previously released patron-exclusive podcast, including the new Audacious podcast for patrons in 2023. You can learn all about supporting this independent podcast and as a thanks, start listening to all of that content now when you check out Southern Mysteries on Patreon. Just look up patreon.com slash Southern Mysteries. In 1920, Lena Clark made history when she became the first woman named Postmaster of West Palm Beach, Florida. Within a year, she gained notoriety as a murdering postmistress accused of killing her lover to cover up an embezzlement scheme. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the story of Lena Clark, the murdering postmistress. Lena Marietta Thankful Clark was born in 1886. Her father was Reverend Almond Taylor Clark, a prominent theologian. Lena's mother was a member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. To say there were expectations as to how Lena and her three siblings would live their lives would be an understatement. When Reverend Almond retired, he moved the family from Vermont to West Palm Beach, Florida. Lena Clark exhibited great intelligence from the time she was a child. At the age of six, she was reading philosophy books and debating philosophy and religion with her father. By the time she was in her 20s, Lena was committed to community service, volunteering with the Red Cross, selling war bonds during World War I, and volunteering at her church. Lena was unmarried and wanted to find a full-time job. Her sister Susan's family had made a name for themselves in Miami as the first florist in the city. Her older sister Maud was also unmarried and worked as the West Palm Beach City Librarian. Until 1919, their brother Paul was postmaster of the West Palm Beach Post Office. He helped his sister Lena get a job with the Postal Service, where she would eventually work her way up to the position of assistant postmaster. Paul Clark was an interesting character, a taxidermist and a snake charmer. He often left snakes in post office boxes to prank his patrons. He occasionally left rattlesnakes in the mail station his employees checked each morning. One of those employees, Fred Miltimore, often complained of his frustration with Paul Clark and how he felt endangered on the job because of these pranks. By 1919, Paul left his job due to health issues. The position was filled temporarily by Fred Miltimore, but he resigned in 1920. 
Miltimore explained he felt he had to leave because he endured so much stress on the job thanks to Paul Clark's pranks. He moved his wife and four children to Orlando, where he managed a restaurant called Arcade and settled into a less stressful life. Following Fred's departure, prominent local businessmen in West Palm Beach signed a petition asking the Postal Service to appoint Paul Clark's sister, Lena Clark, as postmistress. It worked. Lena became the first postmistress of West Palm Beach. But just months later, on Christmas Day of 1920, Lena Clark's world was shaken when Paul Clark died. He had been given a coral snake by a friend and was tragically bitten by the snake and died. The snake's venom is highly toxic, and no anti-venom was developed until the late 1960s. Until then, if you were bitten and the wound was left untreated, the painful bite could lead to cardiac arrest, as it did with Paul Clark. The death of Lena Clark's brother caused her such great distress that many of her family members said it seemed to literally break her in two. She seemed like a different person. She continued to work as postmistress and kept up her volunteer work with the Red Cross, but never seemed the same again. Things went from bad to worse for Lena Clark in the summer of 1921 when she was accused of stealing $32,000 from the mail service. In the 1920s, the Postal Service handled a lot of cash from the sale of stamps, war bonds, and money orders. On July 26, 1921, Lena Clark sent two registered mail sacks to the Atlanta Federal Reserve Bank for deposit. The mail sacks left West Palm Beach with $32,000 in cash inside. When they arrived in Atlanta, authorities found catalogs instead of cash in those mail sacks. Someone had cut mail order catalogs into the size of the currency that should have been inside, so anyone handling the sacks between West Palm Beach and Atlanta would never know the contents had been switched, and someone made off with thousands of dollars. A postal inspector was immediately sent to West Palm Beach to question postmistress Lena Clark. Her response to that news? Lena Clark fled. She hired driver Baxter Patterson to take her to Orlando, where she checked into the San Juan Hotel downtown. She was booked into room 87 under an assumed name. While in Orlando, Lena arranged to meet Fred Miltimore, who was not only a former postal worker, but her former lover. The two had an affair while Miltimore was still in West Palm Beach which is most likely why Fred agreed to meet Lena in room 87. Hours after Fred's arrival at the hotel, Lena Clark walked into the Orlando police station and asked to speak to the man in charge, Chief Vestal. She explained she was the postmistress of West Palm Beach and had important information about a theft related to her office. Vestal called West Palm Beach police to confirm Lena's identity. He then called her into his office, where she immediately explained he needed to send some of his officers to the San Juan Hotel 
to arrest Fred Miltimore for theft. She told Chief Vestal Fred had stolen the $32,000 from her post office. Lena explained to the chief she made sure Fred would be in the room when his officers arrived. She said she drugged him with a morphine pill, and when she left, he was passed out on the floor of her hotel room. While Chief Vestal waited with Lena at the police station, some of his officers went to the hotel. They called Chief Vestal to inform him that there was a man on the floor of room 87, but he wasn't passed out. He was dead from a gunshot wound to the heart. Chief Vestal immediately suspected Lena Clark of killing Fred Miltimore and accused her in his office. She denied any involvement for about an hour, but she shocked Vestal when she confessed she shot Miltimore after he blamed her for stealing the money from the post office. Lena claimed she tried to get Fred to sign a statement of guilt, confess that it was his doing. When he refused, she shot him. Lena Clark recanted the confession Chief Vestal claimed she made in his office. But days later, an Orange County grand jury indicted her on charges of first-degree murder. A single 35-year-old Florida postmistress accused of having an affair with a married father of four and murdering that man in her hotel room was just the kind of story newspaper editors of the 1920s loved. The sensational tale sold a lot of papers. Lena Clark was prominently featured in national papers that made fun of her appearance and her odd behavior. Here's an example of how she was described in a national paper just after her arrest. Lena Thankful Clark, if you please, is a queer combination, a bundle of contradictions. In personal appearance and dress, she is far from attractive. Her figure is heavy and uncorseted, and her clothes smack of the backwoods. Miss Clark's only assets in appearance are her hair, which is decidedly Titian and naturally wavy, along with her eyes, deep blue in color and absolutely straight and unwavering in their gaze. The same reporter who wrote those words asked Lena's father, Reverend Clark, about his daughter's arrest, asked if he thought she was guilty. Reverend Clark replied, The law of man may declare our daughter a robber and murderer, but in the sight of God and her father and mother, she is as innocent as a newborn babe. Now, it seems the description of Lena Clark in newspapers garnered sympathy for her with women across the country. She began to receive fan mail and in time became a celebrity among singletons. She had so many letters from fans, she joked that she used them to decorate her jail cell, which was literally covered with fan letters. As she awaited trial, Lena Clark filled her days reading those letters and writing poetry. She wrote the following lines in her poem she called, A Fool's Wisdom. I told you the course you pursued was wrong, but you laughed and said women are poor, weak fools. So I hushed on my lips my life's merry song to pray while you all disregarded God's rules.
Now, many people were convinced that poem was inspired by Fred Miltimore. Lena Clark's celebrity status led to an offer from fans and friends to raise bail money for her, but the judge refused to grant bail. While Lena was writing her poems and reading her fan mail, the state was working to secure indictments for murder. Detectives of the 1920s refused to believe a woman could pull off the theft of $32,000 and commit cold-blooded murder without the help of a man. Baxter Patterson, the man who drove Lena Clark to Orlando, was arrested and indicted as an accomplice in the murder of Fred Miltimore. Lena Clark told detectives in August 1921 that Baxter Patterson should not be arrested. She said he had nothing to do with the crime. But court records from Lena Clark's arraignment in November 1921 tell of a jailhouse witness whose testimony before the grand jury led to Baxter Patterson's indictment. The records note the testimony from a woman who had been jailed alongside Lena Clark. Lena allegedly told this woman in jail that Baxter Patterson had shot Fred Miltimore, and she was innocent of the crime. Lena Clark denied this, but she did have a habit of changing her story. Just one day before she and Baxter Patterson were to stand trial for murder, her story about the stolen money and the whole situation changed again. She claimed the money had really been stolen in 1918. Now, that was the year Lena Clark was serving as assistant postmistress. She claimed in 1921 she embezzled $32,000 to cover up her theft of $38,000 in registered bank money back in 1918. When a postal inspector investigated the 1918 theft, Lena Clark claimed Fred Miltimore was involved in the crime. Around this time, Fred and Lena were lovers, and Fred was devastated when he learned he was suspected of this crime. He, in turn, told the postal inspector it had been one of the Clarks, Lena or her brother Paul, who stole that money. The Postal Service investigated. Eventually, Fred resigned from the post office and moved his family to Orlando. After Fred Miltimore's murder in 1921, most of the missing $32,000 was recovered from Lena Clark's bank account and her personal belongings. Nothing about her story added up. Just before her murder trial, she claimed that back in 1918, she stole the money, spent most of it, and then asked a man named Joseph Elwell to loan her $20,000 to cover the theft at the post office. But there was no way to confirm the claim because Elwell had been shot and killed in New York in 1920. With her twisted tales about the financial crimes and concern for her well-being, Lena Clark's family hired two prominent lawyers from the firm of Chillingworth and Chillingworth to defend their daughter. The lawyers agreed they needed to mount an insanity defense for Lena Clark. Lena was shocked and disappointed by the recommendation, but went along with it as long as they agreed to put her on the stand so she could tell her story. 
and she had quite the story to tell. Lena Clark brought a crystal ball to the courtroom and explained on the stand that she was currently living her 12th life. As she gazed into her crystal ball, she placed on the witness seat, she told the court she had been the goddess Iris, was a friend of Cleopatra, had been present at creation with Adam and Eve, and expected that in her 13th life, she would be the President of the United States. Lena claimed that in each life, whether in the Garden of Eden or with her friend Cleopatra, Fred Miltimore was always there beside her, tormenting her. The state's strategy was to remain as quiet as possible while Lena Clark was on the stand. They decided to just let her talk to that crystal ball until she revealed that she remembered opening the door of her hotel room the night Fred Miltimore was shot. She claimed she remembered him entering her room, sitting in a chair, and even remembered the detail of lights in her room reflecting off of his glasses as he sat in a chair in front of her. The next thing she knew, she heard a loud sound, and then immediately she was transported to the hotel lobby where she met Baxter Patterson. She explained to Baxter she needed to go to the Orlando Police Department, and he did as she asked. He drove her there. Lena closed her nearly two hours of testimony with an admission that ultimately exonerated Baxter Patterson. She explained she was alone in the room with Fred, and Baxter was never in that hotel room, so he could not have shot Fred Miltimore. The rest of what happened in the room... Well, she said it was all just a blur. Several psychiatrists examined Lena Clark and testified to her mental state. Two declared she was insane. The third said Lena was a psychopath who knew right from wrong. He said everything that happened from the time she stole the $32,000 to the murder of Fred Miltimore and the scene in court with her crystal ball had been a clever ruse from a very intelligent woman who needed the jury to believe she was insane. Lena's sister Maud took the stand to defend her. She explained she was worried about her sister's mental state after the death of their brother Paul. She and several family members discovered Lena sitting on Paul's grave on December 31, 1920. That was about a week after Paul died. They asked why she was there in the middle of the night, and she told them she was just ushering in the new year with Paul. Maud said it appeared as though a large part of Lena had left this world when Paul died. On December 2nd, 1921, the all-male jury deliberated for about two hours They found Lena Clark not guilty by reason of insanity. Baxter Patterson was acquitted of the charges against him. Within six months, the Palm Beach Post reported that Patterson moved his family to Jacksonville, Florida, where he found work and a fresh start, working in a motorcycle repair shop. As to Lena Clark, the judge committed her to the Florida State Mental Hospital, 
at Chattahoochee for a period of five to eight years. She vowed in court that day she would rather go to the gallows than to a mental hospital. Lena's stay at Chattahoochee State Hospital for the Insane was the talk of West Palm Beach and Orlando, with many rumors being printed as fact in newspapers, including a March 1922 rumor that a woman visiting Lena Clark in the asylum learned she adopted a child that had been abandoned by another patient, which was not true. Lena was released from the Chattahoochee facility a few years after she had been committed and returned to West Palm Beach. She lived with her older sister, Maud in their family home that was owned by the Chillingworth Law Firm. The Clark family had long ago handed over the deed to the home as payment for Lena's legal fees. Newspaper articles from West Palm Beach in the 1940s show that Lena Clark slowly and surely gained the trust of her community again. She returned to her volunteer service with the Red Cross and her church. The Palm Beach Post reported on just about every happening of Lena Clark and her sister Maud, from hosting Easter morning breakfast for church groups at their home to updates about her work for the Red Cross, even an article about a surprise birthday party in Lena's honor that was the toast of the town. Lena Clark never married. When she died in 1967, she was buried alongside her parents in Woodlawn Cemetery in West Palm Beach. At the time of her death, papers noted she was a writer, and of course there was a mention of that murder acquittal. After all, much of the nation read her infamous poem from her Orlando jail cell and paid to receive copies of her life story sold by the Orlando Evening Post star, which included a copy of her infamous poem, A Fool's Wisdom, including words that seem a fitting epitaph for Lena Clark. Angels, blot from your records my prayers and my tears, lest they hide them from God at the judgment day. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. Many people sincerely believed Lena Clark planned the murder of Fred Miltimore in August of 1921, that it was premeditated. Revenge for telling postal inspectors she and her brother Paul were involved in that theft. But one person stands out as someone who believed Lena was broken by her brother's death and was not of sound mind, was never able to plan a murder. Fred Miltimore's daughter, Naomi. At the time of her father's murder, she was living in Chicago. While traveling to Florida for her father's funeral, a reporter asked her about the woman who killed her father. And Naomi Miltimore said she genuinely believed Lena Clark was insane at the time she killed Fred Miltimore. The truth is, we'll never really know. Thanks to the Palm Beach Post and the Palm Beach 
past for their write-ups on the story of the murdering postmistress. You can find links to their stories about this case and all the sources for this episode in the show notes at southernmysteries.com. If you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy Southern Mysteries, you can help spread the word by rating and reviewing the show where you're listening now. And remember, you can hear more stories like this when you join me on Patreon. There's a link to learn more and join today in the show notes where you're listening or just search Southern Mysteries at patreon.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.